Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, hosted on Beachhead Media and other podcasting platforms. Aaron has served as a pastor, a chaplain, a professor, a writer, and a speaker, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. So on this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yeoman, and today we are going to be talking about Great Commission Parenting, and this is part one of a two-part mini-series, I guess you could call it. On the tail of our podcast we did on the trans wars, we thought it would be really necessary to promote a positive vision for parenting. Fundamentally, parenting is a great commission task that has been given to Christians by God, and we've been well-equipped by God's word for this. So Aaron, how about you start off with addressing some of the most common issues that kids face as they progress towards adulthood. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we live in a culture that is uh, anti-family, uh, anti-marriage, uh, anti-children, and then at the same time, constantly inundates people with false messages about what parents are. You know, the, the, the stare, if you watch television shows, and on occasion we do, it's fascinating to observe how kids interact with their parents, and it's almost never in a way that's reflective of a biblical yeah, totally. understanding of parent-child relationships. The parents are either extremely passive, the kid's mouthy, they act like they're somehow buddies or co-equals. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of uh, messages being communicated there to people about what uh, parenting looks like. But some of the some of the issues. So we we have uh, the broader cultural issues. We have the whole gender blender garbage that's taking place in culture, the, the various aspects of the woke ideology. The schools have been hijacked by um, the pride movement, by cultural Marxists, by anti-Christian groups. We have kids. Uh, unlike in previous generations, having s- straightforward access to pornography and other sexual perversion online. We have many children being raised by uh, technology. It's not uncommon to be in a restaurant, an airport, and kids have their iPads in front of them the entire time. It's like the parent parents have literally passed the responsibility over to Apple or Google or whatever to to raise their child. Mm-hmm. So those are the bro- some of the broader issues that uh, you know children, Children are obviously victims in, in in light of all those cultural challenges if the parents don't help them to think through the issues. But think about some of the specific issues that kids of all generation have thought have have had to think through. So when you're when you're coming through childhood, you're especially you're entering into your teen years, you're asking questions like, hmm, what is a man? And the culture certainly is not going to help you answer that question. Mm-hmm. At least when I was young, they'd help you along a little bit, but they're, they're going to actually give you the exact opposite message to that which you should be hearing. What is my uh, role in the home? Kids are thinking through, how, how am I supposed to interact with my parents? Like There's often these awkward moments where you're, you're figuring out, like where at what point have I been given a little more authority, a little more autonomy? Mm-hmm. You're, you're dancing that uh, awkward dance with your, your parents. What is my relationship supposed to look like with my individual parents. So if you have a mom and dad in the home, you obviously interact with those differently. And depending whether you're a boy or a girl, you're going to interact with your mom or dad differently. So not only your general approach to your parents, your relationship to your parents, that's an issue for many young people, but also 
how does a boy relate to his dad when he's becoming a man himself? How does a boy relate to his mom when he's becoming a man? And how does a girl relate to her father uh, when she's becoming a woman? And how does a girl relate to her mom when she's becoming a woman? So those are some things that young people uh, have to think about. Mm -hmm. How do I get along with my siblings? If you have siblings, all the different personalities uh, that are represented there. Thinking about matters of sexuality, sexual maturity uh, happens at puberty or begins to happen at puberty, and there's a lot of confusion and a lot of angst for a lot of young people that uh, needs to be addressed. Um, how do I court a girl when you get into those dating or courting years trying to figure out what it looks like to make that first move to court a girl and um, figure all that out? Your your body's changing. You know, hair is growing in places it didn't used to grow. and. Yeah. Uh, uh, girls are developing breasts and men's penises are are enlarging and testosterone is flowing and estrogen is flowing and women have their their menstruation periods beginning to start. And so all of that can be, it's part of the biological processes. There's nothing wrong with it, but it can be confusing and challenging for young people to think about those things, mm -hmm. especially if their parents aren't helping them think through it and the world is giving them a false message at the same time. That's a recipe for disaster right there. What will I do for a job? You start to think about career choices. And I used to think about what am I going to do for, for my career? And you know, you go one way, and then you realize maybe that's not the path to go down. And then you go another way. Unfortunately, we still have some young men in their mid to late twenties that still haven't arrived at a conclusion. They're still jumping from job to job to job, and that's that's largely a factor of how people parent their children uh, through their through their teen years. Um, how am I perceived? You know, we we all have within us a, a natural interest in answering the question, how am I perceived? What do you think about me, Chris? Mm -hmm. what, what do I think about you? How does this person perceive me? And while we we certainly don't want to be naive to the fact that we live in a community, in our families, in our mm -hmm. churches, in our society, and we should concern ourselves with how we present ourselves on a certain level, teenagers tend to have a an acute fixation on this issue. They're very concerned about what people think about them. And so we need to help young people think through their public perception. Christianity, let's talk about this. If you've been raised in a church and you've been taught your Bible stories and maybe memorized some verses, at some point your faith has to become your own. You have mm -hmm. to trust in Christ and put your faith in Him and then walk with the Lord and worship Him and work for Him. And, and many young people are being introduced to questions that undermine or ideologies that undermine the essence of the Christian faith. So they're thinking about questions like, well, is the Bible actually true? My pastor says it is. My parents seem pretty convinced, but my biology teacher is saying otherwise, or social media is saying otherwise. So they want to think through the matters pertaining to their Christianity. Are my parents genuine in their faith? So when you're raised in a Christian home, you're going to see the hypocrisy the weaknesses, the blind spots in your parents, that's natural, nobody's perfect. You can fake it till you make it at church, but you know, at home, people know you. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is why Jesus also talked about uh, to the prophet, it's, uh, you know, it's hard, if you're from Galilee, it's hard to do the work in Galilee because it's, it's hard to minister to your own because people know your, your blind spots. They have certain pers perspectives of you. Yep. Now, obviously, just as an aside, we're not saying Jesus had blind spots or weaknesses, but he was certainly open to those allegations because that's how human nature is. We, we yep. tend to, the people that we're most familiar with, we're most likely to know their weaknesses and attack them. And 
young people, maybe when they're five or six, a, a boy, for example, might think his dad is nearly perfect. Mm -hmm. Then he starts to realize that daddy's not perfect. And there's those weird dynamics of well, what does that mean for our relationship and how do I respond to that, especially in matters of Christian faith. Maybe you come from a broken home as I did and uh, my parents uh, separated. Uh, the marriage ended when I was uh, 10 years old. And around the age of 14, I was really struggling with that and trying to figure out like, why did that happen? I, I didn't know why it had happened. So you have to think through those dynamics. Maybe you come from a broken home and you're, you're trying to process that because you don't want to repeat those mistakes in your own marriage. So those are things that young people need help with. Uh, educational stress. You know, prior to the age of 18, you're probably still in some sort of formal educational process. And uh, the stress of education, uh, sometimes it's it's exciting, sometimes it's boring, trying to balance all that, get mm -hmm. good grades. Uh, how do I avoid bad influences? How do I make sure that I protect myself from people that might destroy my faith? Mm -hmm. So being a young person uh, is difficult. Mm -hmm. There's all those transitional questions that young people are considering, especially in their young to later teen years. And we as parents need to come alongside them and help them to, to work through that. And one of the worst mistakes we can make is to be passive mm -hmm. or just to pass the buck to the youth pastor, or the youth group leader, and assume that they're going to do the job. We need to be active in the process. We don't need to be intimidated by it. We went through those same questions and challenges mm -hmm. and difficulties when we were younger. It might have been in a different culture or context, depending on where you were raised. But by God's grace, he helped us to work through that. And we can help our young people to learn from, from our mistakes and our victories as well. Mm -hmm. Well, that is quite a list that you've given. And yeah. it, you say don't be overwhelmed. But it, the first thought to me is, wow, that's overwhelming, especially <laughs> as my kids approach the teen years, mm -hmm. getting closer to them. Those are the thoughts that kids are coming through. What are parents thinking? What are some of the things that maybe are their unique questions and challenges? Yeah. Well, to encourage parents, uh, you, you have 18 years to progressively uh, unpack these issues uh, times 365 days a year. So you do the math. You, you have a, a, quite a bit of time. You're not dealing with these issues every day, but you're, you're being proactive and speaking into them here and there as children uh, come to those critical junctures in their lives. Um, but I think I think fundamentally cr christian parents are asking the question like how do i how do i raise kids effectively you know any any um godly parent wants the best for their child mm -hmm. they just might not have a clear image of what that best actually is and i want to help to bring clarity to that i want to ask the question do you have in your mind a clear image of the outcome what is it that you're looking for in your son or your daughter? And then ask, is that a Christian outcome? Mm -hmm. So I, I do know some parents that are Christians that the way they praise their children on social media, the way they interact with their kids, the way they discipline their kids makes it very clear that their desired outcome for their child is not a Christian outcome. So they, they want their child to be to be cool, they want their child to fit in, to be socially well-adjusted, to be good-looking, to be a scholar. Well, these things in and of themselves are not bad, but that's those are secondary uh, aspirations for, for, for any Christian child. 
uh, fundamentally, you want your child to be a sold-out, die-hard follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and mm -hmm. you will be the number one influence. Not not my podcast, not the pastor, not the Christian school you send your kids to, not your homeschooling network. You will be the number one influencer mm -hmm. in in the outcomes of your child. And I would just say to parents, it's probably time that we put aside this whole. Well, I did my best, but it wasn't within God's plan for my child to be saved or grow. Mm -hmm. I think that's a cop out. I think there's some bad theology in there as well. God uses people to accomplish his purposes. And while we ultimately don't get the credit, more if more Christian parents took full responsibility for how their children turned out and repent if they've made errors along the way, which is also critical because we all make errors, I think we'd have better outcomes. Mm -hmm. But um some things, specific things, uh, many parents were raised in dysfunctional homes, so they have a family history that they're combating. They don't know what it looks like because they didn't experience it. Mm -hmm. And and I can relate to that because um, I was not raised in a Christian home uh, with mom and dad present where I was truly taught what it means to think and act like a Christian. There was a lot of dysfunction there. You know, I had it better than some, but there was a lot of dysfunction there. And I would say there continues to be a measure of dysfunction between myself and and my parents and and my siblings. Um, really, with the exception of maybe one of my siblings, my siblings do not passionately walk with Christ. And uh, uh, probably only one of them is is act an active participant in in the Christian church. So that's painful, and I admit that that's painful. But instead of sucking on my thumb, what I think we should do is to learn from the pluses and the minuses instead of saying, well, I, I don't know what it looked like to be a father, a Christian father, a Christian mother, or to interact properly with my, my peers. Um, but some people are, are questioning that. They lack confidence because they lack role models. They lack information. Some people yep. aren't thinking about these issues. They're just, they're on autopilot. Yep. Um, also thinking through issues like um, uh, how to pray for my child. What are some things you should be praying for? Well, number one, you should be praying as soon as you find out your wife's pregnant or if you're the wife that you're pregnant, you should be praying that the Lord would save your child and raise them to be an outstanding mm -hmm. warrior for Christ. And that should be evident to your child from, from day one. But if your child is just getting praised for their grades or their prowess on the ice rink, or you just pass the buck to the iPad to raise your child, or you just drop them off at youth group and expect them to be catechized in the faith, but there's no discussion at home, you're the problem, and that needs to be resolved. How to discipline. Disciplinary tactics are really important to, to think through. What is the role of the church in blessing me and coming alongside me to raise uh, a child for Christ? How do I deal with extra difficult children? That's a a big challenge. You know, you might mm -hmm. get a child that has severe mental disabilities or physical disabilities, although fortunately that's still relatively rare. Uh, but we have a whole plethora of behavioral disabilities, mm -hmm. and I think many of those are uh, overly labeled, uh, too commonly labeled as being on the spectrum or some sort of a disorder. Because that's everything in society is a disorder. We don't talk about sin anymore. Mm -hmm. So uh, a, an individual murders someone else. Well, they had mental illness. Well, did they? Or were they just absolute reprobates caught in their own selfishness and sin and acted out in a very crazy way? 
but we're 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 quick to uh, put a label on people's behavior that sounds kind of medical or psychological, and uh, that often hinders parents from helping their kids to deal with the root issue, which is ninety nine percent of the time I would say sin. Mm-hmm. So are there children born with brain tumors? Yes, with uh, physical abnormalities that would cause them to act out in a way that we would consider to be a mental health issue? Yes. Could a person be exposed to toxins that brings damage to the brain? Mm -hmm. Yes, but that's very rare. Most mental health issues, I'm gonna, maybe we should do a podcast on this at some point. Most, I'll step on some toes here because you're hearing the exact opposite even from many pulpits. Most mental health issues are not mental health issues at all, they're sin. Mm-hmm. And sin affects the mind and the way we think and process things and causes us to do crazy things. But anyway, that's a bit of an aside. Uh, that's an issue for parents dealing with difficult kids. And even if you have a difficult child, even if you have a child with disabilities, you, you can't just let them do whatever they want. There still needs to be a discipline appropriate to their you know intellectual capacity. Uh, we, we want to just encourage people to be highly proactive not in a super stressed out way, to be, to, be, to be highly proactive. Stop throwing it on God as a cop-out. Trust in the Lord to do what you can't. Pray that the Lord would do what, what you can't do, but take responsibility for the outcomes of your children, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think you'll be blessed. So those are some of the unique questions and challenges that I think modern parents struggle with. Yeah. Maybe you could talk for a few minutes about the role of being a parent and a pastor and how that's influenced your parenting over the years. It'd be kind of interesting to see how that, yeah, that being a pastor is factored into your parental views. Yeah. Well, whenever you give people advice on uh, parenting, uh, there's obviously an interest in your story. So I, and I get that. If someone's going to give me advice on how to raise my kids, I'm going to want to know, well, what's what's your uh, resume? <laughs> yeah, you know, have you ever record? raised children? Um, because I, I've been exposed even to social workers that are, I was talking to a social worker many years ago about uh, child discipline and she held to a, I think a very unbiblical uh, view of child discipline. In the course of conversation, I found out she doesn't even have kids. Hmm. So it was all textbook. It's all learned from the local university. So um, I, I am aware of the fact that a person's story, uh, if they have experience, is going to make you lean in. And if they if they don't have experience, then you're probably not going to listen. Well, I, I'm certainly not tooting my own horn, but I do have a lot more experience than most people. So uh, I was raised in a large home uh, with five siblings and uh, went through the catastrophe of the separation, the divorce of my mm-hmm. parents and all the fallout from that. So I, I know I know what it's like to be raised in a catastrophic environment, a chaotic environment. Uh, I know what it's like to uh, be abandoned by, by multiple family members. Um, so I, I know what it's like to sort of be raised on the other side of the tracks, as we mm-hmm. used to say. Yeah. Uh, then I spent uh, eight and a half years as a, a youth pastor in uh, two different churches, and even prior to that, a couple of years as um, a youth sponsor. Uh, we called them youth sponsors, a youth leader in a church. So about t- 10 years working with junior highs, uh, middle schoolers, we call them now senior highs and college students. So lots of, lots of time in the trenches, working with different families, teaching, mm-hmm. mentoring. 
Uh, Susie and I then were blessed with five children of our own, uh, both boys and girls, who we raised through to uh, adulthood, and, and all five of them walked closely with the Lord. So I think, you know, that kind of bears testimony to the fact that I'm not just blowing hot air here, that what I'm going to tell you actually works. And I, I give all the credit to God, but I also know he used Susie and I in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, pastorally, I continue to maintain close relationships with many young people in our church. I, I disciple young men. I am a keen observer of culture. I pay attention to uh, the children of our church. I take an interest in the children of our church. I want them to know that I, I love them and care for them. And uh, I, I want the, the parents of our church and in other churches to succeed. I don't want you to fail. Mm-hmm. But I also could tell story after story after story of parents that have failed. And I see a pattern there. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about uh, working with people is the longer you work with people, the more you see patterns, and you can pretty much predict after a while mm-hmm. what the next step is going to be. I was talking to you yeah, earlier about this and right. earlier this week in another pastoral situation that if you see uh, person A and person B acting in a certain way, and then you observe the outcome of that behavior, and then you replicate that over and over and over again for 10, 20, 30 years of pastoral ministry, I'm in my 31st year of pastoral ministry now, it's not all that difficult when you sit down with people to figure out what direction they're headed in mm-hmm. because you've just seen this different names, different circumstances, but the same behavior played out time and time and time again. And I know without question what the consequences are of active engaged parenting and what passive parenting is. I know what the consequences are to sending your kids to a Christian school that is lukewarm. I, I can predict the outcome of that. Mm-hmm. I know what it's like to send your uh, I can predict the outcome of sending your kids to a church that's lukewarm. I know what it's like. I can predict the outcome of being heavy-handed or too passive or legalistic or being a licentious parent. I know the outcomes of parents, uh, you know, divorce. You can see those patterns. Like yep. People generally react in a similar way. And so uh, I would just say you can, you can listen to my advice and not put it into practice, but I, I think you'll do it to your own detriment. Because if you follow this godly counsel, I can say with a, with a high degree of certainty, it will benefit you and your children, mm-hmm. and it works. Uh, on different personalities, even different cultures and circumstances, this material works. And if you want to raise prevailing children and have a godly home, heed the advice mm-hmm. of those that have gone, gone before you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the only person to look to. I mean, there's obviously many, many other people that have... Uh, been conscientious parents and have fruit to show for their labors and and look look to them too for guidance because uh, you know when we you know he he who um, tends to spend time with wise people grows wise yeah and it's proverbial. I, even in my own life okay I'm now looking to people that are a step beyond me because I have grandchildren now mm-hmm. I forgot to mention that. Not a great deal of experience, but a little over a year now. Yeah. I have grandchildren now, and that's a whole new realm for me. And I have a daughter and daughters-in-law and a son-in-law. So now I'm looking to parent people that are older than me and thinking, okay, how how do you stick handle those relationships with your uh, children's spouses, with grandchildren? So we're always learning. And my kids are now grown 
and uh, independent. And so um, I want to speak into the lives of those that are like a generation behind me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, in some ways, as you talk, I'm thinking of the proverb that talks about like, my son, listen to my your father's instruction, right? So it's, and even the way the proverbs are structured, <clears throat> they're not absolute rules that every single time, but they are predictable patterns that God yeah, that's good. has set good up insight. in society, right? So yeah, that's a good insight. Um, so it seems though a lot of parents may not have a clear picture of where they're going, what, what they actually hope to accomplish in parenting. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about why a clear goal or a view of the, um, the parent's goal is so important and how do you form that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think this is probably the most important takeaway in this whole podcast. And that is to ask parents the question, what is your mental image of your child as an adult? Have you thought about that? What kind of a person do you want to produce? What is your goal for your child? And I've alluded to this a little bit earlier on. Is it very? Is it clear in your mind? I'm not talking about their physical appearance, mm-hmm. what, what kind of haircut they're going to have or how tall they're going to be. But do you have a clear sense of where you're headed. And this is this is a principle that a business owner would apply as well. Why does your business exist mm-hmm. and where are you going with it? In your marriage, what is what is your your preferred future for your marriage? You're you're, you're standing at the altar, you're you're exchanging vows, you're entering into the covenant. What do you hope to to look like to be like 5, 10, 15, 50 years from now? And the same principle applies to, to parenting. Do you have a clear image in your mind of what you want your adult son or adult daughter to look like? Mm-hmm. Because as much as this might offend the heart of moms specifically, your job is done as a parent when they are adults. You're like, oh, no, no, I'm still, I'm a parent of adult children. Well, I know you're a parent of adult children, but they have left and cleft. <laughs> yep. You know, the, the idea is they leave and cleave. We, we want them to, we, we, they're under our jurisdiction, if you want to use that word, under our authority until adulthood. And then they are adults. If you have not raised a fully functioning, conscientious adult that is able to function in society and leave and cleave by the age of 18, mm-hmm. you know, unless there's a mental disability there, um, you have not done your job. I'm just going to tell you straight up, you've not done your job. So you have 18 years to raise your children to adulthood. And after that, anything anything you say to them is advice. They're not under your authority anymore. They may still live in your house for two, three, four more years, but take responsibility for it. Uh, and, and when you have this image in your mind, I'll add one more aspect to it. When you have this image in your mind of what you want your adult son or daughter to look like, is it a Christian image? Mm-hmm. So... Fundamentally, you want, these are some things that you should want. You should want uh, a fully functioning adult by the age of 18 that loves the Lord Jesus Christ and can defend their own faith and walks with the Lord. Okay, that's that's basic. Mm-hmm. Who understands they're a steward and not an owner. So therefore can steward their own bodies, You know, knows how to brush their teeth, put deodorant on, dress properly, present themselves properly, steward their bodies, who has control over their sexual appetites, that's part of body stewardship, Mm -hmm. who 
who has control over their finances, even if it's meager, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, who can balance, quote unquote, balance a checkbook or balance a a spreadsheet, um, who understands that it's their, their responsibility to provide for themselves. Now, if they choose to go to school or you agree to go to school and keep them in the household for a little bit longer, you, you must make it abundantly clear that this is a blessing, not an obligation from mom and dad to child. Okay, do not ever communicate to your child that you are responsible to get them through post-secondary education. I'm telling you straight up, you can bucket, you can claim, well, that our culture's different. It's an error. It's an absolute error to communicate to a child that you have a responsibility to get them through university or college. You do not. Mm-hmm. If you wanna help them, that's a blessing, but let them know, especially in their teen years, if you're gonna go to college or university, you do realize that ultimately it's your responsibility. First of all, you might not even be alive when your children reach adulthood. You may not have the financial wherewithal. Uh, they may be pursuing a program that you disagree with, fundamentally disagree with. So do not make that promise. So you want a child that's fully functional and you want a child that's marriable. doesn't mean they're necessarily gonna get married, but children should be marry, marryable. Mm-hmm. not saying they're gonna get married, but they should have all the basic goods and services in place to be marryable by the age of 18. Again, they might not get married till they're 48, mm-hmm. but they there's a problem if you've not taught them about what a man is, what a woman is, what responsibilities are, if you've not pr- provided them with a positive vision of marriage, mm-hmm. which is God's plan for 95% of people. So you need to do your job to prepare them for that. And and in and, and conversations and the way you conduct yourself and the way you present yourself in marriage, this this sounds radical only to people in the modern world. Mm-hmm. This this is this sounds oh, this is radical. It's not radical at all. To hear if you if you believe the opposite, that's actually radical. That's strange. That's mm-hmm. abnormal throughout human history for parents to think, no, I have twenty five years to raise my child, or I'm going to coddle my child, or you know maybe they're not quite ready to uh, stand on their own two feet in terms of their faith, or maybe they're still figuring things out. That's abnormal. Mm-hmm. That they are literally a quarter of the way through their lifespans. And if they're not an adult by then, something something's a problem, something's amiss. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really important, Chris, just to have that image in mind. Now, I want to talk a little bit about uh, moms and dads, because in a in a properly ordered home, there's there's a mother and father present. And this is um this is God's um desire. Uh, this is God's, this is the norm uh, for parents to be raised by a mother and a father uh, until adulthood. Now, if that doesn't always happen. Your dad goes to war, he gets killed. Your mom dies of cancer. Uh, both your parents die in a car crash. Uh, one of your parents compromises their vows and there's a divorce. So there's there's many reasons why uh, mothers and fathers aren't always present, but again, as someone raised in a single parent family, it is not good. It is not healthy. It is not mm-hmm. ideal. It's actually very painful uh, to be raised by a single parent, and uh, I, I just want to you know, sympathize with those of you that are are in that situation. Mm-hmm. I, I know it's difficult, and I can't just wave a magic wand to make that pain go away. But if if you're a single mother and you're trying to raise conscientious kids, make sure that you're comfortable with 
uh, letting your sons or daughters develop meaningful godly relationships with other mm -hmm. Christian people that can sort of, in some ways, function as surrogate moms and dads. So it's wise for single moms who are in a church to uh, allow other godly men to influence their sons for Christ or godly women to come alongside and influence their their daughters for Christ and vice versa. So that's a little bit of an aside. Yeah. But just talking about moms and dads, I wanna, I wanna kinda go through some parenting uh, paradigms, we'll call them paradigms, that are, I think, errors. So one would be, some parents perceive of their role as parents, I'll call them the textbook parents. And I was recently in, um, in, in, in Texas teaching some of this material to our church plant down there. And um, I, was, I was comfortable teaching there because it, it applies to all cultures. Yep. Right? It's not just a Canadian thing or an American thing. This is, some people are textbook parents. And what they mean by, what I mean by that is they're out reading all these parenting books looking for someone else's advice. I was always reading books, 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 how to uh, figure out how to be a good parent. And, and I think that there's benefit to that and that you wanna take in lots of information from books and from conversations. But if your parenting is just textbook parenting, you're, you're gonna reduce your, your own capacity as a parent to think through the issues, to prayerfully discern what it is that your parent needs or, or child needs and to act responsibly. Mm -hmm. So some people need to put down the books and just start thinking a little bit more on, on their own two feet. Then there's the social scientist parent, and we mm -hmm. see these even in our own church. Well, I, I have an early childhood education uh, certificate, or I have a Bachelor of Social Work, or I'm, I'm an expert in child behavioral sciences, so therefore I know how to raise kids. Well, I hate to say this, but if you were educated after 1989, chances are most of what you've heard is a lie. Uh, there may be some benefits to that. It may have led you to a, a viable career. But if you believe that God's word is the truest form of truth on the planet and that God's laws for parenting and children apply across the cultures, and the universities are teaching the exact opposite. They're teaching Freudian science, they're teaching all sorts of antichrist, woke behavioral science. Chances are you've actually had your mind polluted by the the, the philosophies of this world. Yep. And that may offend you because you probably paid to be taught those lies. Yeah. And um, maybe you have some accolades in your place of employment for your, your professional designation. And I'm not minimizing there's, there's obviously people that go through secular education that come out really well. But I would never say to a guy, look, because you have a seminary degree, therefore you're a qualified pastor. Mm -hmm. and nor would I ever say to someone because you have a child psychology degree that you're a qualified parent or because you're an early childhood educator, you're a qualified parent. It's not your BSW that makes you an expert. It's the word of God that can make you an expert in parenting. And mm -hmm. if you're parenting philosophy and theology is not anchored in God's word and reflected in space and time, you need to make some corrections. Yep. Then there's the athletic parent. We live in a culture, people work yep. hard and their outlet is athletics. In Canada, it's the ice rink, the, the soccer field in the summer. In the US, it's probably more football. Um, in, in Europe, it's what well, they call it football, we would call it soccer or cricket, maybe in, mm -hmm. in um, the UK. And these can become all-consuming. I mean, th these are great places for kids to learn to compete and be competitive and to stay physically fit. I'm not opposed to athletics, 
But I believe for many, many more parents who don't care to admit it, it's an idol. It's an idol. And they communicate by the pictures they post and the way they raise their kids and prioritizing Sunday sports over church and youth group that what I really wanted of little Johnny or Susie is for you to be a NHL player or an NBA player or whatnot. And so we got a lot of parents that are communicating without necessarily even fully being aware of it, that what you're telling your kid is your desired outcome for them is first and foremost for them to be an athlete. And their Christianity, you might, you might say it's important, mm -hmm. but they actually don't think it's important to you, as important as their performance on the ice or the court. So that's a problem. The academic parent, mm. more concerned about grades than even helping their kids to think. Okay, I, I'm really not impressed. We, we have to have some grading structure, some rubric in academics to grade and assess a child's retention of the material. But how many people out there get straight A's and their lives are complete disasters? Mm -hmm. And so while we want our kids to, to excel to their max, um, many parents, I think, frankly, are, are too concerned about their child's academic performance and, the, and their, even their reaction. Oh, you, you got a B, you got a C, you got a D in your report. The guttural reaction mm -hmm. that they manifest to their child is, is much more dramatic than if they find out their kid is fornicating with their girlfriend mm -hmm. or blaspheming or keeping bad company or sleeping in for church or whatnot. So the way you, the way you react, mm -hmm. uh, your first reaction to your child's perceived or actual failures, communicate subtly to your child what is the most important to yeah. mom and dad, right? And That's something good. people don't often think about. So if you're blowing your stack because your kid didn't do well in their report card, but they read their Bible, they pray, they're involved in youth group, they're at church, you know, they, they love Christ, maybe you need to chill out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Whereas if your child is, you know, excelling, excelling at school, but just seems dispassionate about their faith, that should be your, your primary concern in the moment as a parent mm -hmm. to, to correct that mm -hmm. uh, behavior. And then there's the peer parent. Hey, can we just be best friends? <laughs> You know, my, my daughter is just my best friend, you'll hear mom say. Uh, okay, if she's 25, that's fine. If she's five, that's not fine. Mm -hmm. Okay, you need to maintain that authoritative presence over your child. Let them know that the buck stops with you. And in, in the realm of parenting, you have absolute authority of them until they're adults. And if there's any confusion in that regard, kids will capitalize upon it. It will reduce their respect for you and uh, your authority, and it'll be harder and harder and harder for them to uh, be disciplined by you. It's especially difficult for moms who have boys, single moms who have boys, or moms who have boys and the dad is passive, mm. because boys, boys are, we want boys to develop into, into men. We want boys to be appropriately aggressive. We want boys to be appropriately dominant. We don't want the codependent son who sulks and acts like a girl and is effeminate and overreactive um, to the issues of life, who's always tied to his mama's apron strings. This, mm -hmm. is, this is a recipe for disaster and dysfunction. And so we, we want uh, there to be a clear distinction between uh, parent and child. Mm -hmm. And then of course, once you both are adults, you know maybe you can have more of that older brother, younger brother, younger brother kind of relationship, but you have to maintain that, um, that uh, wall. It's between, so yeah. yeah, I would say it's so interesting how it's reversed in society. 
the uh, the child and the parent at a young age. The child is like the um, the peer. But when they become adults, the parent still childs them or chides them, right? And like <laughs> <laughs> provides yeah. their every need. And uh, yeah, it's it's very, very strange. Uh, Susie and I are watching this television show where. Um, the mom lied to her daughter because she the daughter was concerned about her dad being in a uh, he was basically a, a law enforcement officer. She was concerned about him being in some fight, and the mom to protect the child like lied and said, "Oh no, dad's fine," but he really wasn't. And then later she had to apologize to her her daughter for that. Okay, so I understand that. But then from there on in, and the whole rest of the show, the daughter's always demanding, "You will tell me the truth. Hmm. You lied to me." Like I demand to know what's going on with that, or I demand to know. It's like now there's like this role reversal where the parent is suddenly at the every whim, beck, and call of the child, and is now answerable to the child. And there's an inversion mm-hmm. of of the author the authority structure yeah. there. So here, here's what actually will happen if I could give this insight: if you don't maintain the authority of parent over child, and instead you so think of like that as a vertical relationship, so parent over child and you flip it on its side, so it's parent and child are peers, mm-hmm. eventually it will flip the other way and it'll be child over parent. Mm-hmm. So that it'll it'll roll sideways so that the parent is now under the authority of the child. And that's just not appropriate. It happens over and over and over again. Some people aren't aware of that. Mm-hmm. Then there's the absent parent. You know, raise yourself, kid. I raised myself. You know, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. You know, I walked up, I walked to school uphill both ways. Um, mm-hmm. I jokingly tell my kids I actually did because I had to go down this gully. <laughs> so <laughs> there was <laughs> both ways. I was walking uphill at some point, but um, I think life was more difficult uh, on a certain level when I was a child. But I would say it was also more fun mm-hmm. than what I see many children exposed to today. Uh, we just had more freedoms and liberties to be outside, to be adventurous, to build forts, to ride our bikes. We we were more. Uh, tuned in to creation and there was a little bit more of a village mindset where you know um, adults in public would mildly discipline you if you misbehave they would say you know smarten up or you shouldn't speak to your mom that way but mm-hmm. that just wouldn't happen nowadays yeah. and, and that's really not that long ago i mean i'm still an extremely young <laughs> extremely young. extremely young <laughs> the earth's crust was cooling but <laughs> <laughs> chris that's very mean very hurtful um very offensive to my uh feminine I should side say. <laughs> That's not very uh, representative of the roles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who do you think you are? <laughs> but it, um, being over, uh, being an absent parent is a problem. The opposite of being an is being the overly protective parent. I fight my kids' fights. They got in trouble from the parent, the principal. So I, you know, I immediately take their side without even hearing the story. That's that's an error. By the way, um, my rule of thumb is, and always was when my kids were young is if I put my child under someone's authority mm-hmm. and that child got in trouble from that youth leader or parent or teacher, I would always assume that the person in authority was correct, always. That was always my default. And I would say 99% of the time, with very few exceptions, it turned out to be true when we did the background story. But I see many, many parents immediately take the side of their their yep. kids. Yep. Well, you, the teacher was too harsh with my child or... Uh, the the youth leader, um, you know, was a little too. I, I know my kid brought their phone to youth group and wasn't supposed to be using it during youth group, but they were they were a little harsh. Well, you know what? That's good for your kid. Mm-hmm. Like, back off a little bit, 
and stop being such an overly protective parent. You're not helping to equip your kid, by the way, for disputes and difficulties later in life. Mm -hmm. um, picking their friends, trying to force friendships, being lax in discipline. I, I, I've said this before, kids should never say no to their parents ever. Mm -hmm. it, sh it should be like the equivalent of saying the F word in the home. You just don't say that. Even from the time they're little, I've observed even um, families in our own church where the kids are screaming, kicking up a stink, and they're just hugging and snuggling and you know, giving them cookies to try to settle them down. I'm like, your child needs to be disciplined, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, the, when it comes to s snuggling and hugging a child that's freaking out, that's the role of the granddad, by the way. Okay, so oh, come yeah, on. so that's just my you know. <laughs> no, I, yeah. <laughs> you do both. So I'm the so. I'm the good cop. Parents are the bad cop. I had to be the bad cop once. Parents, okay. you know. So, but uh, yeah, parent obviously grandparents um, play a different role in that. By the way, I, I don't feel it's my resp primary responsibility to discipline my grandchildren. If they were misbehaving, you know, I might. Um, address that even at a young age, but if parents don't do that, it's a disaster. Mm -hmm. And so many, so many parents, there, there's a softness about them that they think is helping. And the reality is, people around you don't like your kids. Mm -hmm. You might not, not want to hear that, but people and people don't like your kids. That you're embarrassing yourself actually when you don't discipline your children mm -hmm. properly and show that you you love them enough to to um, quickly nip it in the bud when they're demonstrating rebellion. Mm -hmm. Every act of rebellion needs to be immediately disciplined, especially in those young, year, young years. And then the teenage years, by the way, become a whole lot easier. Mm -hmm. The easiest years for my wife and I were the teen years. Yep. They because weren't perfect. the hard work was done early. Yeah, and I think for most people it's the opposite because yep. they didn't do their job when the kids were in ele the elementary grades or age groups. And... Then you got these punkish kids that are then dealing with all those questions we dealt with at the beginning with mm -hmm. relationships and sexuality and jobs. And well, there were obviously things that we needed to address with our kids when they were teenagers. Um, but raising five kids was the, way easier. I would say it was 25% uh, you know, as difficult as the, the, the younger years, like mm -hmm. the preteen years. Yeah. Just to, on that note, because I know this is um, something somebody passed on to me years ago, was the difference between rebellion and and um, them just not being you know skilled. So they spill a, a uh, cup of milk. That's not rebellion, but uh, and so but sometimes we flip out more over the spilled milk, so to speak, than the rebellion. But then you think, looking at Old Testament scriptures, rebellion is re kids not being submissive to parents is a a capital offense in some yeah, cases, like right? So, it's like, so I tell my kids, I'm like, just be, be thankful you're not living in the other, under the old covenant. <laughs> so yeah, that's true. This is nothing compared to it. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's very interesting, right? So, mm. Well, um, yeah, so I, I had a thought there that uh, just slipped, slipped my mind, but I think in the area of discipline, oh, I know what it was. Um, when I tell people I never let my kids say no, they think, oh, your kids were never... Um, disobedient? Well, of course they're disobedient all the time. Yep. But um, that disobedience came in in two ways. So they're when they're behaving in a way that's inappropriate, okay, we, we constantly were disciplining that behavior. But when they actually verbalize that they're not going to obey you, that takes it to a whole new level. Mm -hmm. So first of all, we don't let them verbally disobey us. We That way we can focus all of our attention on the uh, behavioral aspect of things, right? Mm -hmm. 
So you just kind of get that out of the way really quick. It's not difficult to just say to your kids, you never say no to me. Okay, then you've you've dealt with a whole aspect of parenting that some parents for some reason just don't want to deal with. You just don't let verbal rebellion be demonstrated. You can focus all of your energy on the behavior. And then I would also differentiate to your point between a child who's forgetful and a mm -hmm. child who's willfully disrespectful. Yeah. And I at times would get like super mad at my kids for you know not cleaning something or not doing mm -hmm. something. And I realized it is it is uh, uh, disobedience because I told them to do it, but I would I needed to maybe tone down a little bit if I realized they're they're forgetting to do it, and I need to create some mechanisms to encourage them to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and at at the at the uh, younger ages, it's a spank in the butt. Mm -hmm. You know, I would tell my kids, your bum is like a button and it, it <laughs> turns your brain back on. <laughs> so you so get good. a smack in the butt. There's a wire that goes up and it turns your brain back on. Yeah. So we call it the bum button. And, um, <laughs> but obviously that's for very small children. You know, you, yeah. you, you, you quickly, um, you know, you shouldn't, I don't think you should be spanking 10, 11, 12 year olds. It's no. just, you, you, they're, they're ra their rational capacity is developed to the point. There's, there's other more effective disciplines mm -hmm. like taking away privileges or consigning them to their room uh, or just having a very stern conversation with them that's far more effective than you know, mm -hmm. the bum button. Mm -hmm. um, but then we have the facilitating parent. The facilitating yep. parent is one that we call it maybe a helicopter parent too that's mm -hmm. always hovering over their child, even sometimes into their adult years. Mm -hmm. um, well, no, you're not old enough for me to take my name off your bank account yet. I was like, Mom, I'm 25. Yeah. Well, no, you're not marrying him or her because I haven't approved it. Mom, I'm 30. Uh, the helicopter parent. So you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't date her. You shouldn't go there. You shouldn't say this. You shouldn't. I'll. And then at the same time, no, I'll I'll pay for your meal. I'll pay for your insurance. I'll pay for your cell phone. By the way, if you're par paying for your child's cell phone, please stop like this month. Yes. Like, please stop now. It's not necessary for you to pay for your child's cell phone. Like, put your emotions aside. It does, your child does not need a cell phone. Frankly, probably shouldn't have a cell phone until they're well into high school and have a part-time job that they can pay for it themselves. There's, I remember my, my fourth-born, Simon, when he went to high school, didn't have a cell phone. I think he told me he was the only kid in grade 9 that didn't have a cell phone, and people thought, this is so weird. Mm -hmm. It's not weird at all. Mm -hmm. It's actually weird for everyone to have a cell phone. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the point of it? For someone that doesn't have a job, that doesn't drive, it gets picked up and dropped off everywhere, that doesn't have a job to pay for it, What? why are you giving your child a cell phone? Mm -hmm. So they can view pornos? Is that why you're doing it? So they can send... Snapchat, Snapchat pictures, mm -hmm. um, so they can learn to text people, but never have actually a conversation. Like, tell me one benefit mm -hmm. of your child having a a cell phone before they're able to pay for it, and I'll give you a hundred reasons why they shouldn't have one. And I think the pendulum has swung so far. I feel like I'm almost just speaking into the void right now. Mm -hmm. Because people hear that advice and very few people will act yep. on it. Or they'll say, well, Pastor Aaron told me that I had to, you know, take your cell phone away and then they'll hate me. But um, <laughs> So be it. Yeah. They'll still be the better for it. <laughs> yeah. It's just not a good idea. So yep. um, I'll, I'll drive you everywhere. Like, God forbid, if you have to ride your bicycle or take public transportation, right? Um, I'll help you do your homework. You're, 
you're not developing people who have rational capability. So yeah. case in point, I saw this video pop up on um, on social media, and it was it was um, I don't know I don't know who the individual was, but they they walked onto a a university campus mm -hmm. uh, in the southern United States, and there were four students that came along, four university age students, so presumably eighteen to twenty two ish, mm -hmm. and the guy said to each of them, um, "Got a question for you? What's fifteen times four? Uh, 12, uh, 48, not one single undergraduate student in that group of four could answer the simple question, what's 15 times four? Mm -hmm. And it begs the question, like, did their parents do their homework? What schools did they go to? Did they only ever use a calculator? Like how, how have we come to a point in human history where people that are earning bachelor's degrees can't under, can't rationally uh, put together, okay, if I have 15 apples and 15 more apples and 15 more apples and 15 more apples, how many apples do I have? Mm -hmm. Like how difficult is that for people to, to think through? But I think it actually is, it's symptomatic of our educational processes, but I'm gonna step out on a limb and say it's even more symptomatic of bad parenting. Mm -hmm. It's bad parenting. If my kid could not tell me what 15 times four was, I would bar him or her from going to university and college until they figured that out. So what we want to do is put all that aside. We don't need textbook parents, social scientist parents, athletic parents, the, you know, the academic parent, the peer pressure parent, the absent parent, the protective parent, the facilitating parent. We need a disciple-making parent. Mm -hmm. And the disciple-making parent says, I want my child to passionately follow Jesus Christ. If you want to do a little Bible study on it, I'm going to give you four passages. You, you can look them up on your own. Proverbs 22, 6. Read it. Deuteronomy 11, 18 to 21. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. All of these passages remind us of the Christian nature of parenting. You might be a Christian, but I'm going to ask this question. Are you a Christian parent? Mm -hmm. And are you parenting Christianly? And... If you're not, you need to make some course corrections. And if, if it's too late for you, your kids are already adults, well, pass on these warnings to the, to the, mm -hmm. to the young couples around you. And so knowing, knowing your, your subtle or not so subtle bent, chances are as you're listening to this, each of you is going to lean in one direction. Yeah, maybe I am a bit more of the athletic parent or maybe I'm more of the social scientist parent. You're probably going to bend in one way or the next, uh, the other. So knowing your subtle or not so subtle bent is important. Asking yourself, is discipleship really my goal? And does 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 your desire to disciple your child line up with uh, your actions? Right. So you need to understand in your mind. Oh, I'm raising a disciple here. That needs to line up with my actions. Is it your greatest passion? If not, you need to do, you need some praying. Uh, there needs to be some praying done. Is your greatest passion to raise Christian kids? I used to say to my kids, look, and I meant this. You know, they have high capacity, but I would say to them, I would rather you be absolutely sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ and working in a convenience store mm -hmm. for the rest of your life for middle age, mm -hmm. than to be you know a pastor, a pro professor, a physician, an engineer, and and be lukewarm in your faith or not walking with the Lord. Any day of the week, I would rather take someone that's unknown and may, might even seem like a failure in the eyes of the world. 
I would any any day of the week I'd rather have a child that loves the Lord Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and has no prestigious position at all in society than the opposite. Any day of the week. Yep. That needs to be our passion. And then I would say, do your kids know this? Have you articulated it to them? Have you said it to them? Have you opened your mouth and put the words together and said, son, daughter, I'm going to tell you straight up, this is what your mom and I want out of you. I'm going to make it very clear. And you repeat that over and over again mm-hmm. in your own way, in your own words. Our number one goal is to see you love the Lord Jesus Christ with body, mind, soul, and strength. Your career, it's a great place to honor the Lord, but really it's not as important to us as that. Who you marry, when you marry, it's not as important to us as that. Your wealth, your appearance, it's not as important to us as that. So, you know, if you've said to your kids, you know, the most important thing for you is your appearance. Well, then you're going to spend money on braces Mm -hmm. and maybe some cosmetic surgery and fancy haircuts. But if your most important thing is raising a child that loves the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to spend the money driving them to youth group. You're going to send them to Christian camps. You're going to buy them Christian resources. You, even in the way you spend money on your children, you're going to invest in a good Christian education. Why in the world would you be putting braces on your kids but not sending them to a Christian school in this culture? I just don't understand that. Yep. Like I don't understand that at all. It just doesn't compute in my own head. And some people are going to be offended by that. Well, be offended because my, my intention is to see you do better and to raise children that love the Lord. And these methods I'm advocating for, and there's gonna be lots more work. So are you 100% committed to being a disciple-making parent is the question I want people to be mm-hmm. thinking about. Yeah. So I think of many people want to be, I would love to ask you and get some input here. What are some of the tried and true parenting strategies that you would advocate for? So kind of the patterns, the processes. Right. We'll pray for them before they're born and uh, continue to pray for them. Pray for them in private and pray for them in their presence. Uh, Adopt this mindset. I'm raising adults. I'm not raising perpetual children. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I will not treat them as children at the age of 16. They will be treated, you know, 16 eighteenths like adults (laughs) at the age of 16 because I want them to be fully functioning. I want them to be treated 100% as adults by the age of 18. You know, at nine, I'm going to treat them like half like adults because they're halfway there, you know, just kind of running the math. Uh, talk to them as if they're a year older than they are. Always always assume your kids can think a little better than you think they can think. Like, talk to them a little bit beyond their their age group. Give them responsibilities as early as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, do your, You're doing your laundry. Uh, you are making your own lunch. I know my wife and I laughed about this because my wife is a very – a nurturing person and she she found great joy in doing our kids uh, making our kids lunches and um, actually doing their laundry she felt it was part of her responsibility and she wanted to nurture them in that way and I suggested maybe that's not a great idea it's better to throttle back a little bit on that and at a young age teach them as soon as they learn they know how to turn on the wash machine add soap add the laundry you know close mm-hmm. the lid they're ready to go throw it into the dryer an hour later get it out full drone clothes Push your kids to do things that uh, instead of coddling them, uh, leaving them alone as early as possible. You have to look at the legalities of that, of course. But I think in most places by the age of 10 or 11, they can stay home for an hour while mom goes grocery shopping or dad's out and then it goes to two hours, four hours, whatever. Like allow them to take responsibility uh, as early as possible. Tell them that um, when they get a job, 
as early as possible, picking fruit in the field or delivering flyers or whatever it might be, uh, teach them stewardship. So when when uh, when our kids were little, the deal was we take all your money and we give you a little pittance back, or you can keep it all if you tithe 10%, save 50%, and spend 40%. Mm -hmm. So you're teaching them those patterns uh, 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 early on. Um, ask them to evaluate their situation. So they did something wrong. How, instead of saying, you did wrong, say when they've calmed down and maybe the the smoke has cleared mm -hmm. from the outburst, why did you do that? I want you to, I want to circle back to that behavior I saw an hour ago or yesterday. Why, why did you do that? Or were you evaluating someone else that you've just found out, maybe a friend at school did something very evil. Mm -hmm. You evaluate, you want to create a, a family where you're, you're evaluating, you're critically analyzing your own behavior, the behavior of those around you. Too many parents try to protect their kids and we don't talk about the evils of the world. That's a mistake. Mm -hmm. Constantly evaluating our own behavior and the behavior of others helps to develop introspective, thoughtful people. Teach them the Bible and um, then discuss it. Uh, if you send your kids to a Christian school and that's the and, and then to a Christian church and that's really the only place that Bible conversations are being had, you will fail 99% mm -hmm. of the time. Uh, there should be regular ongoing conversations about biblical issues at the dinner table, in the backyard, on the back porch. Mm -hmm. We should always be discussing our Christian faith and our worldview because it's not a separate thing. Mm -hmm. It's part and parcel of our entire worldview. We're constantly analyzing the world through the lens of God's word. So it's important to have conversations with your kids. Application is everything. I'm not impressed with guys that can exegete the text if they can't apply it. And I'm not impressed with parents that can exegete the text or send their kids to someone who can exegete the text if you can't apply it. We're all driving towards application. It's really important. Mm -hmm. Don't excuse their behaviors due to labels. Well, my son has Down syndrome. My daughter has Down syndrome, so we let him do whatever he wants. No, you discipline them in keeping with their disability. You teach them and hold them responsible in keeping with their disability. Well, my kid has autism. You know, he's on the spectrum. Okay. Discipline them in keeping with their disability. It's not a free-for-all. Don't treat mm -hmm. them like victims. My child has social anxiety, so I let him act like a little jerk. No, you discipline that kind of behavior. Uh, you don't take a child that has social anxiety and isolate them. Mm -hmm. uh, too many parents run to the therapist. They don't actually believe in the power of the Word of God to affect change because they immediately go to the therapist, to the psychiatrist, to the psychologist. That's their first step. More often than not for people, it's their first step. And it's, it, I think oftentimes it's an error. Look for mentors. I, you know, Susie and I are Christians, but I was delighted when my kids developed meaningful relationships with trusted adults in our mm -hmm. church who would, you know, they'd go out to sushi together or, mm -hmm. you know, go, go to uh, maybe an athletic event or, for my kids, they're musical, so they play music together. I was delighted in that. I don't. I, don't, I want other godly people to be voices in my children's life. I don't. I, there's. I, I'm not insecure in that regard. I want other people to mentor and bless my kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, looking to people yourself who are about five years ahead of you is important. So if you have ten, let's say your kids on average are ten. Well, look to people that have teenagers. When you get teenagers, look to people that have, their kids are in those marriable years. Then kind of look, keep looking ahead for guidance and direction. 
Um, be responsible. Uh, take stewardship over your children, but don't be anxious. Parenting does not need to be uh, stressful. There are stressors, but you don't need to be stressed out about it. Mm -hmm. You got your principles. Run the plays. Yep. You got the principles. Run the plays. Deal with the issues when they arise. Why? Why exhaust yourself by letting things build up or overlooking things? And pray. That's a much more joyful life, in my view, than being passive, seeing your kid get worse and worse and worse, having to spend money on counselors. You should rarely have to go to a counselor if you're living in accordance with God's word. Mm -hmm. Okay, rarely. Um, teach them to save for post-secondary, even if you plan to help. Don't tell them you're going to pay their way. If you can help, things could change. Yep. Uh, do not let your children take out student debt. I think it's a very bad idea. There's no reason why a kid should be indebted for, for public education, not in this culture. We've talked about this in our Live on mm -hmm. Less podcast. Yep. How, teach them to save, and if that means dragging their BA out over six years instead of four because they got to work a part-time job, so be it, mm -hmm. right? Um, if they do well in school, maybe they can get a scholarship too. Allow them to work early. I think working is really important. Again, delivering flyers, babysitting, lawn mowing, uh, if they're not working by 15 or 16, like that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And it, legally they can work pretty much anywhere at that point in time. So I'm thinking more like eight, nine, or 10, yeah. which is kind of what we aimed for. If there were opportunities for them to work, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. Like that's part of their education. View it as that course that the school doesn't teach. Yep. I have to show up at a certain time. I'm accountable to a boss. By the way, it's always a bad idea for parents um, to hire their kids as their first job. Hmm. My brother works at a, a Christian school, and, and he said, you know, a lot of the, the farmers and, and tradesmen, they have a rule that if their son's going to work for the family business, they have to work for someone else for two years. It's hmm. always a bad idea for kids to be co-oping under mom and dad. It's always a bad idea for kids' jobs to be under mom and dad. They need to go learn to work for someone else first. And once they've learned to work for someone else, then if there is some sort of a family business, they just think differently about it. Mm -hmm. But if- They if appreciate it more. They probably, appreciate right? it more. They're spoiled. They understand authority. They can differentiate between dad as dad and dad as boss because they've worked under a boss yeah, that they're not related good. to. So that, that's a I think really wise helpful. counsel. Uh, get them involved in life-giving ministry, camps, day camps, youth groups, youth bands, uh, are massive influences. If your church doesn't have those, get them started. Really, really important. Mm -hmm. It's not enough. It's not enough for a kid just to sit in a Sunday morning service on Sunday. It's not enough. Oh, but we have a really good preacher. It's not enough. Mm -hmm. They need to be connected in relationships with their peers and exposed to many different personalities. I would pick youth group and youth band 10 times out of 10 over and above sports or these other things. I was really proud of my one son when he was very young. He was fairly athletic, and I said, "Hey, would you, would you like to play in? A, you know, I'm named a professional sport." He's like, "Well, I'd, I'd like to, but you know, that would take me away from church." And I'm like, "This kid gets it, mm -hmm. right? We, we've we've done a good job in planting that seed. Yep. That ministry among God's people and for God is much more important than uh, giving up all your Sundays to play in some prestigious league that will eventually kick you out." <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if it, yeah, good point. Yeah, especially so, nowadays, right? Yeah. I would also say create an environment that's fun, like joke around. Let your kids tease you appropriately. Mm -hmm. It's not parents. 
to be in a position of authority doesn't mean that you need to put yourself in a place where no one can ever tease you. So we were kids. My dad had a, a big nose. He'd be like, hey, dad's got a big nose. And he would just, he taught it. He, you just laugh. It, was, it wasn't mean-spirited. It was just, they would just laugh about it. And it was just fun. It, it showed me that my dad um, d- d- wasn't thin-skinned. Mm-hmm. And so now my kids are like, dad, you're going bald. You know, like mm-hmm. you can see right through your hair. And, and I'm, I'm not like, hey, that's disrespectful. You know, like... Uh, so you, there is the Elijah passage about yeah. kids calling him bald. <laughs> that might oh, happen. That true. might happen. That was me just, just roll with the punches. Like life is life is challenging enough, and if we're not having fun with our with our yeah. family members and joking around and you know engaging in practical jokes and stuff, you create people that are super sensitive mm-hmm. and like overly overly serious about things they don't need to be serious about. Like. Having some little levity here and there is mm-hmm. is is an important aspect of um, uh, parenting. A couple more things. Uh, this this actually this next one actually is um, really really important. That is um, have as few rules as possible. That might surprise the listeners, but I would say have as few rules as possible. I would call those the core issues or the center, and patrol the center. Like have these unflexible, you know, ten or twenty family commandments, and then. On, on every other issue, just advise. Mm-hmm. So a lot of parents create rules, in my view, that aren't really that big of deals, like curfews. Mm-hmm. I just never thought curfews were a big deal. Mm-hmm. But some people, oh, I got a curfew. You got to be home at a certain time. Why? If you're tra- if you're training a wise child, so w- what I would say to my kids, let's say they were going out with someone, youth group or bowling or whatever it is, and they would say, what time do I need to be home? I'd say, well, what, what would be a wise time for you to be home? And they, they want a time, right? Like, tell me, do I have to be home at 10 or 11? Like, at what point am I going to get into trouble? And I would say, well, you're going to get into trouble when you've acted foolishly. Mm-hmm. And it, it made them maybe a little uncomfortable, but over time they appreciated that. So if I thought, you know, they, they got home at a time when, like, intuitively that was too late, I would tell them, like, smarten up. But I didn't have, like, this hard and fast thing where they're, you know, ripping home because, oh, I got to be home by 10. It's three minutes after 10. I'm going to be in trouble with that. No. Yeah. Like, it's fine. If you're out with trusted people, you're out at a church event, it's a Friday night, you don't have work the next day, obviously you can stay out longer. Mm-hmm. But if you're staying out late, you can't get up for the school bus the next morning or whatever because you're just being lazy or thoughtless, then there's going to be a curfew. So rarely, that's just an example of where, so the, the core issues would be the language you use, mm-hmm. obedience to your mom and dad, giving and handling your money properly, mm-hmm. the, the way you date. We never let our kids date till the age of 17. And the reason for that is I believe kids can marry at 18. I don't think anybody should be dating until they're ready to get married within one year. It doesn't mean that you will be getting married within a year, but if, there, if your relationship progresses to a point where you do get married, you shouldn't be you should not be letting your 15 and 16 year old or 14 year old kids date ever not even on a single date there's no reason for that yep. because unless they're at least 1 year away from being a marriable age there's no benefit to that mm-hmm. it just puts them in temptations way and it prolongs relationships if that relationship psychologically and emotionally and spiritually develops to the point that it's a marriable relationship but they're still minors well now you got a problem on your hands mm-hmm. so we had rules there we had rules for work. We had rules for church life. Our kids never said, oh, "I don't want to go to church." That just—that was another thing. You just yeah. don't—you just don't talk that way. It's, mm-hmm. We're going to church. Mm-hmm. 
Now, the lesser issues would be like curfews, the grades you get, um, what sports teams you're on, what extracurricular activities, your haircut, you know, your style. Mm -hmm. I don't care too much about that as long as it's not immodest. If a ch Here's a rule of thumb, parents. If your child comes home with the proverbial green hair or blue hair, just mock them. <laughs> and uh, and have a couple stop. trusted friends mock yeah, them too. Yeah, <laughs> they'll stop. But what you don't need to do is have a rule that says you yeah. can't have blue hair, yeah. right? Um, a lot of the boys in the church know, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's in jest, but I always tease the boys in the church when they start getting a little bit longer hair. Yep. We don't have a rule in our church that says guys can't have long hair, but I'll just tease you if you have it. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> Eventually. Yeah. yeah, totally. You look like you were going to say uh, something. No, that's good. I was <laughs> thinking I didn't have long hair, but I've noticed the same trend in other ways. I won't expose them all on the show, but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> totally. Yeah, my mockery. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. It's like if you've been mocked about it two or three times, it probably means you should change. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> a good point. So, it's a very uh, subtle hint. The, the final thing I'll say is help them fall out of love with the world. Mm -hmm. The world is not lovable and does not need to be loved. Uh, social media is not your love <clears throat> thermometer. The number of likes you get is not your love thermometer, especially if you have sensitive children and you have them on um, social media and their their sense of worth is coming from likes or reposts that's a problem that, that, that's gonna you're really gonna have a hard time mm -hmm. helping them to undo that later on uh, very limited exposure to television video games these sorts of things less screen time more green time it's a good one um parent kids just don't need to, to have ongoing access to television i i would say if you wanted a number like max 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 absolute max high end probably excessive would be an hour a day mm -hmm. um but it might be better just to allow them to watch tv on a friday night or a saturday morning mm -hmm. we used to like saturday morning cartoons yeah and i know i i come back to this issue time and time again in my teaching and maybe it's people even laugh about it but <clears throat> I'm not mocking right now, but I do think there's something about video games. Okay, and many people hear me say this, and they don't, they don't act on it. And okay, fine. I'm just telling you straight up. Mm -hmm. There's something about video games and allowing young boys to play video games that rarely goes well. I, I don't know what it is, but there's just something about boys and video games. I don't really see it with girls so much. There's something addictive or compelling mm -hmm. or um, overly interesting with video games and men and obviously video games that are crass and you know sinful and have scantily clad women on them or violence are out of bounds for Christians but even even some good ones like Mario Kart like if if you just kind of get into those, those kind that, that level of games and it's just a, a, a regular part of your life I I have a suspicion you're probably hiding from something. Uh, you're probably not stewarding your time well. And she probably won't say it because she loves you to death, but I would have a hard time believing that your wife actually respects you for that. Mm -hmm. um, so I would just say uh, preferably none, but very, very limited exposure to video games, especially for boys, I just think is very wise. I don't see the downside of not allowing your kids to play video games or playing them in very small dosage, doses. And by the way, 
don't be surprised when they go to their buddy's house, they're playing them there. So mm -hmm. you might think, well, we have limits in place. Yeah, that's a huge. But they're over some kid in the church's house and you, you find out, I used, sometimes I would find this out with my sons, they, you know, they go to their friend's house and their their parents don't even parent the kid. It's just all video games. And all they're doing is just playing video games the entire weekend. They're there yep. the entire day that they're there. So it's a problem. I, I, I just wish video games would, would go away. Mm -hmm. Um, not because they're, I'm not legalistic. Like I don't think they're innately sinful. I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. And I think in an ideal world, they, they could be a, a very innocent, very safe form of entertainment. But I don't know if it's the, the thrill of them, the way they're designed mm -hmm. or the visual nature of them, the competitive nature. I don't know what it is, mm -hmm. but I just, I just have a really hard time respecting people that are full on into video games. Mm -hmm. And um, because that says that there's, in my mind, a lack of stewardship in other areas. Mm -hmm. So anyway, for kids, um, you know, if they choose to make that decision to be, you know, all into video games as adults, what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. But why would you encourage that yeah. as a parent? I would withhold that or give it to it very limited doses. Uh, you know, they, they could, if they want to play games, there's, there's board games, there's card games, there's mm -hmm. puzzles, there's things to do outside. Yeah. Yeah. If your kid is an expert on video games, but they can't swing a hammer, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. If your kid doesn't know how to replace the tire in a bicycle, um, but they're an expert on video games, I think you've made a mistake. Like mm -hmm. all that, all those simple lessons that a lot of boys historically learn growing up because they weren't inside playing video games, a lot of young men nowadays have no idea. They have to literally go to the bike store mm -hmm. to have someone pump up their tire. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So we need to think about, we have a limited amount of time as well. And if we're just entertaining our kids because we're lazy parents by giving, putting them in front of video games or even um, just sending them off to the soccer field because we don't want to deal with it. And we're not teaching them the rudimentary skill sets mm -hmm. that you will use for the duration of your life. I think you failed mm -hmm. your kid in that area. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's some corrections that need to be made. But here's this, um, here, here's where I want to end this. At the end of the day, you're responsible for your children. I don't have to stand before God and give an account. You're responsible for your kids, it's your responsibility. But it doesn't need to be stressful. It doesn't need to be difficult. God has given us wisdom and guidelines to live by. And if we if we trust in him and then make wise decisions, I think we will bless the next generation. And mm -hmm. we'll pick up on a little bit of more of that, uh, Lord willing, next week. Yeah, excellent for part two. That's good. Well, thanks, Aaron. Appreciate that so much. And thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. Hopefully by now you've heard about our Beachhead Media app and have downloaded it. We've added some new content. There's some new contributors on there and there's more coming. And so uh, make sure to, to uh, download it and be able to tune into those. Also, you can find Beachhead Media and Leadership Now on social media, both Facebook, Twitter, I guess X, I got to remember that, and uh, Instagram. So make sure to like, follow, subscribe, share, do all that good stuff there. And uh, you can also find us on a variety of other platforms as well. Um, so make sure to, to tune in there. And hopefully you'll be back next week for the second part of this as we tune into Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.